Welcome health enthusiasts. You're tuned in to Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio, your one-stop shop for all things health, wellness, and innovation. We're here to shake up the status quo in healthcare, making it sustainable, equitable, and oh-so patient-centric. I'm Greg Masters, your co-host and executive producer, and I'm thrilled to be joined by the digital health aficionado himself, author, global thought leader, and steward servant, Gil Bash. Together, we're on a mission to bring you the people, the ideas, and the companies that are not just talking the talk, but walking the talk. On today's menu, we've got an exciting chat lined up with Christian Dancero, PhD, the CEO and founder of Perceive AI. And now, without further ado, let's pass the mic to Gil. Greg, thank you so much for the gracious introduction. You know, a few weeks ago, you and I had the pleasure of hosting Tom Lowry, you know, formerly of Microsoft, obviously author of the best-selling uh, business health book called Hacking Healthcare. And obviously, Tom and I have the opportunity to sort of share a platform or certainly we're, we're speakers at many conferences, whether it's Vive or American Telemedicine Association. Both of us are significant fans and advocates for the use of augmented intelligence and advancing the whole healthcare scene. And today, we've got an incredibly special guest, um, Christian Denzero, who is a, has a PhD in computer science. He is um, very aware of the whole drug development scene and more. Uh, we're going to explore a little bit of what he's doing um, because I think that Perceive AI is one of these companies to watch. Uh, I also want to give a a, um, a thanks to uh, Jamie Edwards and Unity Stokes and the whole startup health community, of which Christian and uh, his enterprise, Perceive AI, are part of. You know, startup health has a very keen eye for entrepreneurs and companies they want to invest in. And um, having spoken with Christian in preparation for our show today, done the research, and thank you, Greg, also for providing your insights it's very evident why Startup Health jumped in and is supporting Christian and his whole community. Christian, welcome to the program, Health Unabashed. Um, I've been looking forward to speaking with you, my friend. Thank you so much, Gail uh, and Greg, for the invitation. It's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, you know, thank you. One of the things you know, we were chatting about just before Greg said, hey, you know, it's time to start the show, is the evolution of AI from the earliest days when really um, people were going through huge amounts of data. I guess um, meta-analyses were the original, original sort of use of, of, of intelligence, information. And then we kind of moved to what many companies like Merck and others were acquiring relationships with huge health plans like Maccabi in Israel. And, and they termed that um, Big data, big data, which people would ask me, what does that mean? And I said, a lot of data. That's what it means. Um, and you and your colleagues are, are pioneering really the practical nature of AI, um, augmented intelligence. And I want to get your read on that because in our conversation, you too seem to be a bit of a historian about the category. Um, you you know, your, your whole name of your enterprise includes AI. Um, there's other great enterprises also um, that are 
bringing AI into the title. Why, why did you do that? I'm just curious. Why bring AI into the company's name? Well, because the main point or the main product that we're delivering at the end of the day is really specific types of algorithms uh, dedicated for forecasting disease evolution and uh, prediction, basically. So everything is built around these models and these predictive models. So it's kind of foundational to to what we are doing that's the main why the main reason at the time it was less uh, uh popular or uh, hype now i'm probably going to remove it at some point from the name the the ai part because it's just uh, uh way too much used and uh and and yeah but but yeah at the, at the inception of it that was really the the, the main focus and it's still a big core component of what we are doing um so it made sense. You're tackling, if I understand correctly, you and your colleagues are probably pursuing a line of science of drug development that remains probably one of the most pressing in um, in the world, and yet um, maybe one of our least successful Alzheimer's disease, cognitive diseases. You know, with the aging of of um, the population in the developed world. Alzheimer's is, is really going to reach epidemic levels. I, I would say Alzheimer's in the developed world could be what AIDS, HIV was in the emerging world in Africa um, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Alzheimer's could crush uh, the economies of, of the developed world. I, I don't think I'm overstating that. Not I, at I, all. No, I think that's going to be... Well, it... it we are aiming towards a wall or at least a kind of a pandemic level uh, situation. And economically, it's going to be very, very challenging also if we're not able to better manage or uh, scale the current operation or the, the way we provide care to these individuals. Um, the, the current way we are caring for them is very costly. Uh, the system is not really adapted to that uh, that disease and uh, and caring for these patients. And obviously, as the aging population uh, grows, we'll have more of these uh, of these individuals and these patients. So it's going to be important to adapt to it. There is new drugs that are coming also on the market that are very promising that may help on that front also to release a bit of the pressure. I think there is a lot of new, exciting uh, development in, in the field very recently uh, in, the, in the past year that happened. So that really changed uh, the study code that was uh, prevalent for the last 20 years or so in Alzheimer's disease with uh, when one of the most highest rate of failure, about like 99.6% or something like that of failures in clinical trial in Alzheimer's disease. So uh, it's a breath of fresh air to see uh, some some success now uh, on that front. Yeah, I'm shocked that, you know, obviously all the major uh, biopharmaceutical companies, not all, but many have pursued uh, a course of, of um, exploration of adventure in Alzheimer's disease. Um, the vast majority, as you said, greater than 90% sadly fail. Sometimes, sometimes they fail at earlier, less costly stages, Many actually fail after they unblind the data and look at phase three trials. Now, uh, now historically today, if something goes into phase three, it, it's it's rare that it will not succeed because of all the sort of a sense of 
well, mining data. Who's the right patient for the trial? Who are we going to go after? Alzheimer's has, has seemed to be elusive. And, and your company is focusing specifically on Alzheimer's. So I wanted to get the landscape because you're doing a few things. One, you're adjunctive to uh, CROs, to uh, helping CROs understand what type of patients would be best in a trial. You're, you're, you're looking at drug discovery and development. Um, you know, you're, you're looking for ties, I think, of, of what patients might develop mild cognitive impairment and and some more severe what's the magic what do you do aside from sort of getting access to large quantities of data how do you how do you determine someone will have mild cognitive impairment so let me go back one step and tell you a bit more about the problem and some of the problems that I've observed uh, in the past that are kind of well known, but uh, we didn't have good ways to address that. So a very well known problem in Alzheimer's disease or in most neurological diseases, they are very complex disease and we don't really understand. They are very uh, multifactorial. So a lot of things play in order to have a progression of the disease or can potentiate in the, the various components. And at the end of the day, you will have very different trajectories of patient that will evolve at different rates. Some of them will remain stable, other will progress very drastically. And so you have a whole um, heterogeneity of patient that will have like different profiles like that. And obviously, as you can imagine, this is a lot of uncertainty for a pharma that tries to figure out who's the best patient for their trial or who's going to be appropriate for their trial. Uh, the first aim in Alzheimer's disease of a trial is to show that they are able to, uh, to slow down or stop the disease progression. Uh, so cognitive decline in the case of Alzheimer's disease. Uh, therefore, you need to have people that will actually decline during the duration of the trial, during that few years or two years of follow-up of those individuals. This is a very small window of time, and everybody ideally would need to decline, at least at different rates. Uh, unfortunately, the way trials were conducted in the past and uh, still today, um, people will they will have inclusion exclusion criteria and they will recruit individuals and out of those patients you will still have a very large portion of people that will remain stable during the whole trial and these people will not have the potential to demonstrate effect from the drug uh, therefore they are not suitable they will add noise to the trial and the way to compensate for that is essentially increasing the sample size so more people in your trial or longer trial both options are extremely costly if you want to go one direction or the other. Um, but that's how pharma has been dealing with that kind of problem so far. They kind of know that it exists and they're just trying to compensate with just more people. Um, we think that we can probably do better than that and better understand these individual profiles so that we know what comes next for these patients in the near-term future so that it's more actionable. You can take decision, identify these individuals that are likely to remain stable that shouldn't be included and exposed to the drug. Um, and the ones that are more likely to decline that are very suitable for the drug that will show benefit if the drug is effective so that you can take a decision sooner. Um, and essentially that's, in a nutshell, that's what the Perceive AI, the company is doing is forecasting disease evolution. and. How we do that is looking at 
pull the piece of information, the existing piece of information from uh, that is collected in a clinical trial. So they are collecting a lot of information about these patients, uh, brain scans, uh, structural MRI, they have uh, genetic information, cognitive tests, um, uh, biomarkers as well, um, from different ways to collect these markers. But essentially, you have a, a very holistic view of the patient. The problem is we don't put all of that together uh, to have uh, a single view of that or, or, or look at all of, all of these parameters together, how they can play uh, together. And that's, that's what we are doing is putting all that, aggregating all that information together in order to have a, a view into the future or a, a small window into the future of, of the risk of these patients to progress or not uh, in the near-term future. Um, at different stages of the disease. So you mentioned MCI, mild cognitive impairment. Um, this is uh, this is the more or less the first clinical stage of the disease when you start to have very small symptoms of cognition, but you're still functional, and then you move towards dementia eventually and a very late stage of dementia where you lose your function and uh, uh, end of life. Just dropping in, you're right on time for Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio. Today, we're chatting with Christian Dancero, PhD, CEO and founder of Perceived AI, a company making strides in AI-driven healthcare from Montreal, Canada. How do you think, Christian, this is going to change how we not just define the types of patients we want in an Alzheimer's trial, but the relationship that exists between drug developers, CROs, and clinicians, you know, to some extent, you know, CROs are working for, um, for, for, for biopharmaceutical companies, large and small. Sites are kind of working for themselves and for the patients that they serve. And obviously, people with Alzheimer's disease or diagnosed cognitive impairment are, are are often, if it's mild, potentially looking for uh, solutions to slow down the progression of the illness. The you're you're not a disruptor to that process, but you're an I'll call it you're an evolutionary force to the process. And um, you know you enter into this historic dynamic, which hasn't been optimal. Let's face it. We spend billions on these trials, and we haven't seen we haven't seen a lot of benefit coming out of them right now. C give me some insight when you sit down at the table. Uh, time is money. Time is precious to these people. Time seems to be the common factor that all of these players have: the lack of time. And you come in, and you're an accelerator of time, right? You accelerate their ability to understand the landscape. Um, what's it like at the table? I mean, they need you, but do they really understand how the process works and how you benefit their their efforts? Well, I think you're making a very good point. Like time is critical for everybody, uh, not just for pharma. I mean, obviously for pharma, they want to have their drugs sooner to the market or uh, kill that specific drug as fast as possible. Uh, sites or clinicians, they want also to uh, to to make their process or the diagnostic process this, as fast as possible, which is currently taking a lot of time and is complex. 
Uh, and the patient, the patient doesn't have any time. Like it, it needs answers sooner so that he can act on it as well. Um, currently, what we observe, especially in the clinic, is that physician will see the patient, he may have some cognitive impairment, and then they will wait for symptoms to deteriorate in order to be confident in the diagnostic. By that time, the patient is probably demented. It's a bit too late to intervene. Uh, and, and you've lost precious years. And, and that's that's what we want to try to avoid also on the clinical side. So now our, our, our products, we want to bring them into the clinic as well to assist these physicians and skip that waiting time and, and have a forecast instead, a ballpark of where that patient is going so that the, the, the physician starts to act now, order more tests, assess the patient now and, and, and provide the solution. I think everybody is sensitive about that for a different reason, but time essentially is what they want to, and de-risking the whole process and removing some uncertainty that will also de-risk uh, the, the process is, is essential. And that's kind of the, I think a missing component that we don't have right now. We are starting to be a bit better at the diagnostic of the disease, but prognostic of the disease is completely absent. And in oncology, this is, like a, a given, like you have a, a, a diagnostic in oncology, you also have a prognostic, how many years of survival on average or something like that. In Alzheimer, you don't have that. Most patients will ask their doctor like, okay, what's what's coming next or what's gonna happen with me uh, in a year or two? And even specialists, usually it's gonna be more or less the flip of a coin, they don't know. I, I so agree with you. I, many years ago, I was working with um, Pfizer and Azi on their drug, um, Aricent, uh, which slowed the progression of the disease. And I, I, I suggested to them a whole different disease that's created from Alzheimer's disease. I called it the disease of chaos, because not only is the mind sort of dissolving into chaos, so is the family's life. Even, by the way, um, um, power of attorney, bank accounts, investments, uh, tax aspects of, of people's money, long-term care. You know, if if you're the caregiver, the, 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 a child of someone with Alzheimer's disease, worrying about your 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 family member's well-being is chaotic. You no, know, it's not like you can just say, "Hey, as I, I don't know if you're going to remember to turn off the the burner on your stove, um, but I'll take a chance." That's not a very good chance to take. Whether they, you know. You know, close the, you know, let the pilot light and the gas is running, but no flame. Uh, it's chaotic. It's chaos. And you're bringing order or attempting to bring order to this. Um, tell me a little bit about not so much the work, but who should be interested in in what you're doing. What what types of business units? We talked about drug development companies pharmaceutical companies, obviously. We, we talked a little bit about CROs and sites. Um, I would imagine uh, patient advocacy groups, the Alzheimer's Association and so forth, want to get on top of this. But it seems natural. I'm just, I'm always curious because I look at the fact that we don't lack um, innovation and ability. We, we, we seem to lack a cultural willingness to want to invite you in and make it work. In other words, we we I, I think a lot of companies are are built around naysaying, 
we talk about you said de-risk for instance i think which makes perfectly good sense in a big expensive clinical trial and yet i often find that chief information officers chief technology officers see their people sitting down with you at the table as the risk in other words yeah. the status quo <laughs> where they're losing billions doesn't seem to be as risky as sitting down with you and spending maybe a few million um that seems to be very risky what's going on there? I mean, why are we unable to sort of say, look, I don't think you're a perfect solution, but maybe if I work with you and share with you what I'm doing, my model, my data, with what you've got, maybe you could be a better solution to my imperfect solution. What's going wrong with this system? Yeah, you're, you're totally right. I mean, anything that is new is uh, seen a bit as, as something risky, even if it's not necessarily the case. Uh, we are a relatively new company, a uh, smaller company compared to the big pharma that we are doing business with. So, uh, and, and big pharma is well renowned to be risk averse. So anything that is a little bit new is uh, uh, seen as risk for sure. Um, that's why also we are trying to um, well, look with them what's the best way to bring these technology into their workflow that will not change that much their workflow, but will still have an impact and uh, to mitigate that potential risk as much as possible, trying to figure out ways to um, bring that, that like, even if we were to select individuals at random, they would end up with the same trials that they were doing initially. So basically they're there their maximum risk is to run into the same trial that they were doing at the beginning. And the best scenario is if we are doing our job, which we have accumulated proof that we are able to deliver on that, then we can really impact these trials, improve the power of these studies. Um, it's an ongoing discussion. I would say that like this is very tough to change the, the process. There are big organizations, so everybody also... Uh, is looking for themselves their their own job also so you, nobody wants to really uh, take too much risk by themselves right for uh, everybody wants to innovate but uh, not at their own expense uh, so yeah, I think it's I, it's, it's, it's no, we yeah. I, I've been looking also not not related to what you're doing but related chat GPT AI everybody has been open AI everybody has been raising their concern. Um, a, a great doctor who I'm a friend of, he's been on the program, talked about the soul, the lack of soul of AI. And, you know, my, my gut reaction is, wait a minute, AI is really a reflection of us. It's a reflection of our knowledge. If AI has lack of soul, it's just reflecting back our soul or lack thereof. Um, and it, it's up to us to really harness to benefit humanity this information this technology you know in in the moments we have left um since you really are building predictive models i mean you you know your whole thing is about perception or perceiving what is and what could be how about in just um, a few sentences sharing with us where do you think perceive ai is going to be in in a year or two what's your hope well, our hope is to uh, is in twofold. First, is to start to do active clinical trial or prospective clinical trial, new and um, and de-risk those, or start to enrich and impact those uh, prospective trials. The other one is uh, really to um, 
made some good, make some good headways into um, the clinic. So to bring these tools also to clinicians so that they can do these diagnosis and simplify that patient journey, basically, um, with those new drugs coming on the market in less than a year, uh, probably in the U.S. by this summer, uh, we need to prepare ourselves. We are not prepared to uh, bring these uh, these new drugs into the market, and uh, we need tools to identify these patients that would benefit from it. And uh, I think it's a great opportunity for us to uh, start to make some headways towards uh, uh, supporting these physicians. No, I think you're absolutely right. You know, I I was um, at Hims um, in uh, Chicago just a few weeks ago, and there's a great presentation. Uh, moderated by my friend Tom Lowry, and um, there was a hospital executive, actually a chief in technology officer from a major hospital system who was talking about how they used AI to reach all their patients in their system who are most at risk for, for COVID morbidity and mortality. And statistically, that system had far few, far fewer deaths than other systems that weren't maximizing uh, data, that weren't looking at augmented intelligence uh, as a way of of uh, fulfilling medicine's true pot truest potential, which is to save and sustain lives. Um, I, I, I want to sort of note what you're doing because I, I would say that everybody involved in Alzheimer's drug development should be at least inviting you to sit down at the table to understand what you're doing, the potential of uh, Perceive AI, yourself, your team, um, is incredible, is incredible. And Christian, I want to thank you so much for joining us today, Greg and myself, on Health Unabashed. I want you to give the, our regards to the entire startup health community and continue to keep us posted on your successes. Uh, we're here to help. There are obstacles out there. We know it. We know it um, quite clearly. But um, AI is not disruptive. It is transformational. It's evolutionary. Um, but the fact is we're collecting data. We've been looking at data, projecting data for decades. As I said in the beginning of the show, we used to call it a meta-analysis, which is a retrospective view to understanding the current state of affairs. Um, AI might be the new term. Maybe you'll cut it out of the name of the company in the uh, in the months or years to come. But what's certain, thanks to you, is it's here to stay. Christian, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. And that, dear listeners, is the last note from today's melody. A huge thanks for tuning in and a special Tip of the hat to our guest, Christian Dancero, PhD, the CEO and founder of Perceived AI. They're taking AI-driven healthcare to the next level. Perceived AI is a respected member of the Startup Health Global Health Transformer community, having joined the ranks in August 2022. To keep tabs on Christian's work, pop over to www.perceive, and that's P-E-R-C-E-I-V, Dot AI, or join the Twitterverse following Chris Dancero, and that's C-H-R-I-S-D-A-N-S-E-R-E-A-U, and Perceive underscore AI, and that's P-E-R-C-E-I-V underscore AI. For more of our Health Unabashed conversations, 
Swing by our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. We're live weekdays at 10.30 a.m., 6.30 p.m., and 2.30 a.m. Eastern, or 7.30 a.m., 3.30 p.m., and 11.30 p.m. Pacific. Stay social with Gil and me on Twitter via at Gil underscore Bash, and that's B-A-S-H-E, and Greg Masters, M-P-H, and that's Greg with two Gs. And don't forget to give your tweets some zing with our hashtag, HealthUnabashed. Until we meet again, pursue your passion for better health. No apologies. 